think you know the harvest is a special thing as uh, throughout history and as people the harvest is still a special thing even though we're not all farmers here and all the farming that goes on in our society doesn't get the same press as it probably did about 100 years ago. Turn in your Bibles with, with me to Mark chapter 10. This has probably become, uh, the chapter of Mark chapter 10 has probably become my favourite Bible passage over the last two years. It's something that I'm uh, extremely, uh, you know, there's so many lessons in this, in this chapter that motivate me, and I hope today that I can share something from these that motivate you as well. So, so the title of my message is How to Enjoy the Greatest Harvest. So, a little bit of research on what it means, what harvest means. As many of us know, the first thing you might think of with harvest is crops. So, traditionally, a harvest is when you collect all your grain in and you make it into bread. That's a time of harvest. And you can imagine that certainly when, you know, farmers would look to their harvests and they would see uh, the, the crops that they've received, they would thank God for those crops. Because for us, we walk down our streets to the co-op or to Sainsbury's and everything's just there. Yeah. But we know actually, uh, that's not actually how things happen. Uh, you know, we should be very grateful to those who, uh, you know, the, the farmers who do harvest grain because it's you know that's how we get our food it doesn't just appear on the shelves it comes from the physical harvest but if you look at the definitions online of harvest there's more that's been added to the definition of harvest so now you can harvest body parts now this is not a uh, this is not a new uh, business model that I'm in you're saying is a good idea but uh, you know I, as we come to the ages medicine uh, you know, moves forward, there will be times where, you know, you'll, you'll lose, you might lose an arm and you might be able to harvest an arm from something that's, you know, grown it and you won't have it stuck onto you. Um, I haven't experienced that yet. Um, you can also harvest information. So much of life nowadays with the internet is about harvesting information. Everything with GDPR is come about because information is seen to be so valuable. And gathering information Gathering body parts. These are all other ways which harvesting can occur. I'm not a freak, by the way. I don't think I'm not like Hannibal Lecter. I don't think about body parts all day. But um, you know, thinking about the harvest, I'm going to talk a bit today about how we can have a spiritual definition of a harvest, how we can harvest things spiritually, and how that feeds into our physical lives. Before we go on to that, let's pray. God. Uh, you are the harvester, God. You are the harvester. You are the one who truly makes things work. Thank you so much, God, that you harvest for our good. You are so kind, God. You are so kind to every one of us, Father. Uh, we do not deserve to have you uh, harvest for us, Father, but you do, God. You're so kind to send your son. You're so kind to give us so much in our lives. God, use me today to teach your words, God. Your words, not mine. I love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, a simple working definition of harvest might be the amount of a desired thing that you collect from its source. So, you might have a good harvest if you're a, if you're a farmer and get lots of grain from your fields, or you might have 
a bad harvest and you might get very little rain and there might be a bread famine in England. Now, I want us to take a few minutes here, just two minutes, a little bit of interaction, to talk with the person next to you about this question. How do people think about harvesting in their 21st century lives today? Two minutes, talk with the person next to you. That's just to get you into the thinking about harvesting and how it does actually go on in 21st century England, even though we don't often see it. You know, life from a human perspective is all about maximizing. All of us think about how can we maximize our lives. That's why we go to university. That's why we go to our jobs. That's why we get married. We think, I want to maximize my life. I want to get as much out of my life as I can. That's what we do as people. Let's see what God has to say about maximizing. We're going to read in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not give, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah, this is a well-known passage. This, for me, is one of the, the most challenging, motivating, and convicting scriptures in the whole Bible. It really preaches two main points. The fact that God must be first in your life as a human, and also that material things can get in the way. Now, this normally is the, the, uh, the section of scripture that would be preached about. And I'll do a, you know, a very short bit of preaching about that and how you know, God must be first above our, our, our lives and our, our wealth and our, our, our physical things. There's actually so much more in the next few verses that follow this. You know, this man comes to Jesus, he falls on his knees and he says, I want eternal life. And Jesus basically says to him, if you're going to have eternal life, you've got to put me number one. You've got to put me first. Now that is such a challenging call. Such a challenging call from Jesus. So challenging that the disciples in verse 26 and 27 feel they were even more amazed. They were already amazed. And said to each other, who then can be saved? I don't know if you've ever felt hopeless in a situation in your life, when you felt like it's too much to achieve, the mountain is too high. As, uh, as many of you know, I'm a dentist, and I felt this many times on a regular basis as a dental student. 
Being a dental student, you really are the pits of medical ability. You have very little medical ability and you're being asked to do very, very much. I wonder if Tidu feels like that. I felt like that anyway. And um, I remember doing a lot of dental work in my, at university in London and just thinking, how in the world am I going to get to a competent standard of being a dentist? I remember being taught about how to do, use my drill to, to construct beautifully hewn statues and, in teeth and make them look beautiful and as how to do fillings and crowns. And I remember looking at the teacher's work and thinking, wow, that looks beautiful, like a hewn statue. And I'd look at my work and I'd just think, that looks like a crumbled piece of brick. That looks appalling. I remember once doing a bit of work and showing it to my teacher and he just looked at me and went, no. He didn't even say, that's the wrong shape. He just went, no, it was truly appalling. For the average dentist, doing root canal is not the favourite first choice piece of, uh, what should we say, restorative, uh, restorative, restorative craft. It's not really the favourite for a patient either. But uh, I'm one of those dentists who doesn't really like root canal very much. I do it for the Lord. And uh, I remember when I was at dental school, I remember trying, so the average dentist takes about one or two hours to do a root canal. When I was at dental school, my first root canal was, I only got halfway through it because I was on pace to finish it in 24 hours. I'd have this poor patient come in four times for a three hour, three hour session and I hadn't even got halfway. Um, so the, uh, the lead of uh, endodontics, which is the posh word for root canal, came in and he saw my, the pity that was upon Ben Dannett as he sat there in his chair, looking down his microscope, trying to figure out what was going on in this tooth. And he said, he's Italian, and he said to me, this cannot be taking so long. He just took over and just finished the root canal for me. And I was, I was, I was actually quite happy because it meant, as, at dental school, you have to get a certain number of root canals ticked off, and that went on my, my record. As, you know, and it would be, you know, done by the, one of the, you know, the, the best root canal person in the whole of the UK, pretty much. So, uh, anyway, that, that was not my work, but, uh, you know. And, um, but I remember thinking at that stage, how am I going to do dental work in a normal, appropriate sense of time where someone isn't just going to come for one day and think, why am I here? I need to somehow, Ben Dan needs to somehow get to the stage where he can actually achieve these things in a reasonable length of time and he can make things look almost like a statue rather than a crumpled piece of brick and that was the point of dental school and things don't quite look, they, they don't look quite so much like crumpled pieces of brick anymore, they're, they're getting there and um, so that's encouraging, God, God is good. But I wonder if you've, you've ever felt like the, the, the standard and the mountain that you're having to climb is so high. The disciples felt like that here. They hear, they see Jesus deal with this, this man who probably was quite a good guy. He, he clearly had a heart, had some sort of a heart for God. You know, he, he clearly took the, you know, fulfilling the Ten Commandments seriously, honouring his father and mother, etc., etc. But he couldn't give up everything for Jesus. And the disciples felt like this is too difficult. The standard is just so high. Who then can be saved? And Jesus gives a wonderful response. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. 
I wonder for you, when you look at your spiritual life, your Christian life, and you think about moving forward, you think about what it's going to mean if you if you were to be a Christian for the rest of your life, what it would what it would mean you living as. I remember thinking about that before I became a Christian, and thinking about perseverance. I remember when John T. Colwick had my first Bible study with me, and he asked me, "Then what do you want to study?" And I said, "I want to study perseverance because." And then the, the truth was, I felt like, how am I going to persevere? You know, I was, I was 13 at the time. I felt like, how am I going to persevere for another 80 years as a, as, as, as a Christian? And we looked at perseverance. And now perseverance has become one of my very favourite topics to put into practice and to preach about. And 11 years later, I'm still here. I persevered. I wonder for you, when you look at the Christian life, do you feel overwhelmed? Because it's easy to feel overwhelmed. But Jesus gives us hope. He says, it might be impossible from a human perspective, but from a God perspective, it's not impossible because nothing is impossible. Let's read on. Then Peter spoke up. He always speaks up. Peter's known for speaking up at the wrong time. When, uh, when, when Jesus gets transfigured on a mountain and uh, he appears with two of the, the patriarchs, uh, I think it's Elijah and Abraham, Peter says, let's put up a tent for you, Jesus. And, and Jesus just says, you idiot. <laughs> he doesn't say that. Jesus is a nice, he's nice. He just ignores him. And uh, Peter speaks up and he says, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, interesting, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. You know, Peter was not happy. Peter felt like, Jesus, what more do you want? I don't know exactly how, how Peter felt. He probably felt a bit overwhelmed. Probably felt a bit discouraged having seen probably someone who he quite respected in this, this rich young man being told, you know what, you don't actually have what it takes to follow me at the moment. Peter probably felt like, this is really overwhelming. What am I going to do? Jesus, we want to follow you. We've left everything to follow you. What's in it? You know, I can feel like this as a Christian. Sometimes I can feel like I can get focused on what I'm giving up for Jesus. And I can forget what I'm, what, why I'm doing what I'm doing. I can think about inviting that next person on the street and just thinking, I'll look like an idiot. I can be thinking about, oh, I've got to give up more of my time to go and do this for God. When actually I'm forgetting that God cares about me. And the reason... He wants me to serve him and wants me to actually follow him is because it gives my life something more than what it has originally. Yeah. You know, Jesus says, when you give up something for me, you're going to get back a hundred times more. Physically and spiritually, and you'll get eternal life on top, the cherry on top. Now, if that's not motivating, I don't know what is. You know, friendship's a special thing. I'm not the best person at making friends by nature. Uh, it's not my biggest 
gift. I certainly wouldn't say I experienced a friendship, a friendship harvest when I was in my early years of life. I spent most of my time as a schoolboy, uh, kind of sitting in the, standing in the corner of the playground without any friends. That was, uh, that's me. That's me naturally. That's who I am without God. Uh, I'm not a naturally friendship-based person. I'm not someone who, whose strength is relationships. That's not me. I remember, um, you know, even at school when I, when I got a bit older, uh, even thinking about things from a spiritual angle, when I would stand up for God and I'd refuse to swear, I remember a time where um, my, my, my friends, uh, they were not friends, they, 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 they picked me up and tried to put me in a bin because I refused to swear. <laughs> even, that, even at that stage, when I was in secondary school, I wasn't very good at friendships. You know, and when I became a Christian, you probably would think that I'd become even more, uh, you know, devoid of friendship because I've become even more pulled away from the, uh, you know, the, the the world and the way the way people lived. And that's part of being a Christian. You are you you're different. You're holy. You're set apart. You live in a different way because of that. Yeah, in some senses, there is a degree where people might not understand why you live the way you live. But for me, since becoming a Christian. Things have really, really changed. You know, I went to the, uh, did a few of us here, church, put your hand up if you went to the UK conference in London about a month, about a couple of weeks ago. Oh, quite a lot of us, oh, very, very good. I got to go on the, uh, on the Saturday, and it, the fellowship was absolutely wonderful. Mm. You know, when I used to come to church as a young, a young teen, the fellowship was not a reason I wanted to come at all. I just, you know, I, I didn't find it very, very enjoyable. I didn't, I felt like, you know, bit of a loner and um, but now quite honestly the friendship the, the fellowship for me and the friendships in the church are some of the most rich things that I experience as a disciple there's some of the things which I love so much you know at that conference I would I went in and all I could see was people who were keen to talk to me I had friends I had people who valued me and that's because of God. God sees Ben who Ben naturally is, without many friends, and God has changed my life. God's changed my life to give me a hundred times more friends because I've given my life to him. When we give our lives to God, he gives us back a hundred times over. He doesn't just give us a bit to keep us happy. He doesn't just say, well, you know, you've got your due, you've got what you deserved. He gives us way more than we deserve. He gives us a hundred times more. I've now got friends all over the world. Let me show you them. So, we have these points. I can't see Alex here. Okay, can't Fine. Okay. Well, that, that pink blob is Alex here. And, uh, that is me wearing a, a crown with the words King Eglon written on it. Many of us will know King Eglon was a character in the book of Judges who um, was very fat and got killed, and I'm dressed up as King Eglon. Um, it was Alex Heath's birthday party. Now, Alex Heath is a really special guy to me. He now lives in Bournemouth. He's faithful as a Christian. And Alex Heath is someone who I have a really special, deep friendship with. We had a great team night last night 
Some of the teens. Teen power, put your fists in the air. Come on, yes, there you go. Yes, Lamar, come on, Caleb. That's it. And we talked about the benefit of deep relationships. Because it's easy to have superficial relationships, isn't it? It's easy to have superficial relationships where you just talk about football and you just talk about the Rugby World Cup and hopefully the South Africa get shredded in the next round. Um, It's Johnsy. Johnsy's the one I love love telling that to. No, he's teaching the class. Um, But we were talking about in the team class how deep relationships are what count. You know, when you have deep relationships, you can share things that really matter. You're not alone. When things go wrong in your life and you do something wrong, you can talk about it. You're not left in the dark. It's not just about you and the problem. You've got someone to talk to it about. Being a Christian means you get that. I remember for me, when I started to really be open about some of my sins, my things that I was ashamed of, Alex Heath was one of the first people I really shared that with. Alex Heath is a valuable friend to me because he's someone who knows me. I chat to him every week and he knows me. When I share about how I'm feeling, he knows what's going on. He knows my sins. He knows my my sinful nature. He knows where I'm weak. But he doesn't judge me. He cares about me. He loves me. He says to me, I know you, Ben, and I'm here for you. That's why being a Christian and having those friendships is amazing. I, I wouldn't have that if I wasn't a Christian. If, I, if God didn't tell me to, to you know, confess my sins, in, you know, James 5.16 says, confess your sins yeah. so you may be punished. No, so you may be healed. Healed. We're healed when we confess yeah. our sins. Amen. You know, God gives me a hundred times more healing when I'm open. God gives me a hundred times better quality friendships when I share what's going on in my life. Another person. Now, again, it's quite a pixelated picture, but that is me aged probably about 17, and that is Elliot Manku with one of his age 16 haircuts. If you want, you ever want to laugh, go on Elliot, Elliot's Facebook and look at some of his old haircuts. They're great. And, um, but Elliot's a great friend to me. Now, he lives in Marlow, and he's a great friend to me because he very, he very much provides the yin to the yang that I might have. Elliot provides something, a sta- he's a stable friend for me that helps me. When I'm excited to, uh, to do something for God, he's someone who helps me think through the logistics of it. I need someone to help me through, think through the logistics of my, my faith. And Elliot's someone who does that. He helps me think about what I'm doing. And he ha- you know, he's another person who I can talk to and I can say, this is what's going on in my life. And he's great at giving me Really good life physical advice. He's a great friend. Mark Abril, he, uh, he lives in Oxford and he's a friend to me. He's someone who calls me higher when it comes to reaching out to the teenagers in Thames Valley. He's someone who calls me higher to study the Bible and to really be motivated to study the Bible with teenagers in Thames Valley. He's another friend in Oxford. I've got friends all over Thames Valley. And it goes beyond that. This guy, you, you really can't see it because it's because uh, it's really, really yeah because it's so, so light. But he, that, that, that guy is called Steve Schnell. He's a friend of mine, and he uh, he was my campus minister in London when I was in my fourth and fifth year of university. Now he lives in Boston, in America. He's a really dear friend of mine. I often still Facebook him, and uh, you know we all chat about American football. He that's a picture of us. 
He supports the Buffalo Bills, which historically are one of the worst NFL franchises in history. And I support the Pittsburgh Steelers, who historically are one of the best NFL franchises in history. And this is on a day at church before uh, before the extra Steelers were due to play the Bills. I've got my, that's called a terrible towel. That's the thing that a Steelers fan uh, you know, has and they wave. And, and uh, Steve is wearing a uh, tie with the Buffalo Bills uh, crest on it. And, uh, you know, Steve's someone who I can, I, I, I can still... You know, talk to him, we talk about the American football, we also talk about faith. Because Steve's a man of God who loves God, and he's someone who, um, you know, I really, I, when I think about, when I lead Bible discussions now, and I, I, I study the Bible with people, I often think of the lessons that he taught me when I was in the student ministry. I've got friends in America. I've got friends in Canada. This is a, this is a lady called Holly, and uh, as, you, as you know, I went on a hope uh, Hope Medical Corps recently to Nepal, who we happen to be supporting, I think, with our, our Hope contribution. Come on, Nepal. And um, she is a really special lady. She's someone who, uh, she lives in Vancouver, and uh, she's been a Christian, I think, probably for years, absolutely years. And she, she's someone who I could, who I spoke, I spoke to about some of the things that were bothering me while I was in Nepal. It's so special how you know you can you can go and spend time if you're a Christian and you can, you go and spend time. This is motivation. If you're not a Christian, become a Christian because whenever you spend time with other Christians, you can connect in amazing yeah. amazing ways. I could connect with Holly in such a special way about what was going on in my heart, what was going on in my brain, and you know how I was how I was feeling. And uh, you know it's still a friendship which you know it's so easy to to pick back up because when you share deep things, you know those things stick. Yeah. You know, that, that, that closeness and relationship sticks. I've got friends in Canada. I've got friends in, in, uh, in Korea. That is a Korean dentist called Victor. He came on... Um, he came, you can barely see him. I mean, that is a... Yeah, uh, whatever. Um, sorry for the, the, the focus. Um, uh, Victor is from Seoul in Korea. Now, it was amazing, it was really special to have that camaraderie of having another dentist in Nepal, on, again on the Hope Medical Corps, who we could, and we could work together to try and make a difference. Such a, uh, it was really, as I, you know, as I, I look back, it was something that was quite, quite special. You know, to have someone else who's, you know, another dentist, a Christian who's another dentist, I've got Tidu here in the UK, and Jemima Rowden, and that's exciting. And, uh, but it was really special to meet another dentist from halfway across across the world and think about how we could serve God together. And if I ever fancy a holiday to Korea, he said I can come and stay with him. So that's 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 great. I've got friends in Korea. I've got friends in Nepal. I love the Nepalese people. They are amazing. This is there's so the two brothers here, Divas and Suzan. Divas and Suzan. Now these the Nepalese brothers and sisters really set an example to me of humility. They set an example of humility and service. You know, these, these, these youngsters, these guys are about 20. They pretty much run Hope Worldwide Nepal. They have jobs, they have college, and they spend, they spend all their free time serving Nepal. What a heart. And you know what? They're so joyful. They spend their time serving. They spend their time thinking about people other than themselves. They are so joyful. They give up themselves and they get back a hundred times more joy. They give up their physical joys and they get a hundred times 
back. I have friends in Nepal. I have friends in Malaysia. That's that's a, that's a guy called Jack at Wellington Country Park back in uh, back in July. What a great service that was! What an amazing day that was. God was glorified. You know the weather was great. Uh, but that's Jack. Jack lives in Malaysia. That he was a brother who I got to talk to and connect with on a deeper level when he was here. It was a really really special time. The fellowship's been something that's really changed for me. I've, that's become something that's become a hundred times better than it was. What about you? No, it's not just friendships. Jesus says it's many things. If you give up something for him, and if you change your life for him, he'll give you back a hundred times more. It could be your money. You give up your money to go and give it to God, to the work of the work of his church, the work of work for the poor. Maybe he'll he will give you back a hundred times more spiritually. I'm just going to ask Alice to come up and share about how she's been given a hundred times more than what she gave. Hi everyone. Um, in case you didn't realise, Ben and I are opposites in terms of relationship things. And while Ben was put in a bin for not staying at school, I would be sort of quietly <laughs> just <laughs> I was more likely to not swear and then when someone eventually asked me I just sort of went red and stammered oh well never got the habit to go on so I never said it's for God like Ben did but anyway um, but one of the things that I think comes with being more relationship based is being a people pleaser I don't know if anyone relates to that um, so when I went to a university in Bristol um, all I really wanted to do was just fit in with everyone else in my halls and just kind of um, you know, just be like all the other students. Um, but I decided before I went that I would try and have a Bible discussion when I was there. Um, and I'm really glad I decided before I went because when I got there, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I used to, I had, I had them uh, in my room in the halls and I would, I remember I would really, I would look at the clock the day before and we all ate in the dining room together. And I would look at the clock the day before and think, oh, 24 hours, this will all be over. <laughs> and I would have to buy a <laughs> And I would, and then I, would, I remember I would sometimes, it was at 8 o'clock, and I would have about 7.58, I'd think, oh my gosh, no one's going to come. And then I'd think, well, that's good if they don't. <laughs> I don't have to have a discussion. Um, and I would sort of walk a lot around the corridors, feeling very nervous. Um, but then I would, but actually God was great, you know, and, and um, luckily I had great lot of friends in my halls, and people came along who weren't religious at all. I remember I said to one boy, oh, you know, I'm, I am having a Bible discussion tonight. And he said, oh, I love religious education. I'll come. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite subject at school. <laughs> and, um, but it was great because actually, you know, although I really hated the process of having the discussions, and they were never more than about 10 minutes long. And at the end, I'd sort of just be like, let's have some biscuits and talk about something else. <laughs> and pretend we haven't had a discussion. <laughs> but anyway, but actually, through that discussion, a lot of friends did come along, and they, people got to know that I was a Christian. Um, Alex came along, obviously, um, already coming from a background of having faith and with God working in his life. And that was a great way for him to um, just get to kind of clarify, I think, some of just like just exactly what being a Christian is. Um, and obviously, that wasn't something I'd expected, and, and it was a way that God rewarded me for um, giving up my people pleasing nature, which still comes back very strongly most of the time. <laughs> um, but we like to become a Christian. So, yeah, that's one thing to
Alice certainly got a hundred times more back. <laughs> right, and eternal life. That's the cherry on top. You know, we think about what we get physically. As Alex shared, we get our sins forgiven as Christians. We get eternal life and we follow God. There's nothing better than that. What's stopping you today taking Jesus as your Lord? Stopping you, if, if you are a Christian, you need to take him to a higher, higher level of lordship. What's stopping you today? <clears throat> Do you believe God wants to maximise your life? Because if you don't, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus isn't your Lord because there's not going to be any motivation to follow him. Motivation has got to be there. God really cares about you. He cares about me. That's not, if that's not at the fore of our minds, we're going to forget what Jesus offers and why we want to follow him. And finally, could more of a harvest be waiting in your life if you gave more of it to him? You know, Jesus says if you give up something for him, you'll get back a hundred times more. And that's true. That's been true in my life. It's been true in Alice's life. I think, you know, if you talk in the fellowship after this, I'm sure when you talk to, to other Christians, you'll realise it's true in many Christians' yeah. lives. Yeah. Amen. God bless. Amen. Amen.